In 2016, a rival foreign power, Vladimir Putin's Russia, launched an attack on the United States of America. What we now know is that American intelligence agencies have concluded that Russia planned and executed a campaign to undermine our democracy and to affect our presidential election. But Russia's interference in our election didn't happen in a vacuum. The Russians have been waging influence campaigns across Europe for decades. That's why my colleague Heather Conley studies Russia's operations in Central and Eastern Europe. Her findings are contained in a report that has become a must-read in Washington. It's called The Kremlin Playbook, and you can read it by visiting www.csis.org. The playbook examines Russia's efforts to gain economic and political influence in Bulgaria, Hungary, Latvia, Serbia, and Slovakia. And just as importantly, its findings show a broad pattern of Russian behavior that can help us understand Russia's interference in the 2016 U.S. election. This podcast miniseries is about Russia's tactics. Episode 1, which you should go back and listen to if you haven't, talks about why Russia meddled in our election. Episode 2, this episode you're now listening to, will talk about how Russia influences elections. And Episode 3 is about what options the U.S. has to counter Russia. I'm Andrew Schwartz with CSIS, and you're listening to The Kremlin Playbook. Part 2. How Does Russia Influence Elections? In mid-March, the Senate Judiciary Subcommittee on Crime and Terrorism held a committee hearing called the Modus Operandi and Toolbox of Russia and Other Autocracies for Undermining Democracies Throughout the World. Senator Al Franken, a Minnesota Democrat, sits on the subcommittee. Franken is a Senate celebrity. He's a former Saturday Night Live comedian, and he currently has a best-selling book called Tongue-in-Cheek, Al Franken, Giant of the Senate. Franken had some important advice to share at the hearing about Heather Conley's report. I would commend to every American to read the Kremlin playbook. I know something about selling books, and I'll help you. Sir, uh, the book is free. It's free, yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, then I won't want to get involved. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a free market guy. This is really... Can I have my time back, though, on that? Okay. Get this book, Americans, because it tells you how this works. And it's absolutely important that people begin to... Because you're talking about things being opaque. This happens when their web of influence is so complex that it obscures activities. Am I right? That's exactly what you're saying. This is about cultivating an opaque network of patronage, All kidding aside, Senator Franken's remarks and the hearing itself really caught the attention of officials in Washington and Americans from all over the country. At CSIS, I started receiving a deluge of daily requests for free copies of the Kremlin Playbook. And then the reviews started coming in, sometimes in the most unlikely of places. Robert R. Thomas, a columnist with the East Village Magazine in Flint, Michigan, wrote, While looking for a Canadian hockey channel between the rash of mind-numbing commercials during the final two minutes of a basketball game, I stumbled upon the conclusion of a C-SPAN telecast. I never got back to the game. What caught my attention was the mention of a book with a jock title, The Kremlin Playbook. In a nutshell, it's the Russian game plan and tools for influence in the world. Heather Conley's Kremlin playbook does indeed describe the Russian game plan. 
When she testified before the Senate, it became clear just how chilling the game plan is. It is absolutely vital that we understand Russia's strategy of influence, how it works in our democracies, and to develop an effective strategy to combat it. It's so important that we recognize not only the tools that Russia uses, but we have to educate Americans on how to recognize these tools and to defeat their influence. Russia's strategy of influence is contained in Russia's doctrine, New Generation Warfare, of which its primary goal is to break the internal coherence of the enemy system. Russian influence works through a variety of economic and political channels, and it adapts to specific national situations, including biased news outlets, intelligence networks, Russian-financed non-governmental organizations, business linkages, and friendly politicians. While all of these tactical elements need to be understood in their own right, we can't lose sight of their cumulative effect and their overarching strategic objective, and that is the weakening of U.S. global leadership and its dominance of the international system. It's the weakening and ultimate collapse of NATO and the European Union. And finally, it is about the breakdown of the internal coherence, credibility, and moral authority of Western democracies. And once this coherence and cohesion is broken, uh, a post western Western world can in fact be achieved. So let's be clear that it, Russia does not engineer the entire framework in which it conducts its strategy. It takes advantage of pre-existing institutional, political, and governance weaknesses and exploits them. So in fact, uh, we must look to ourselves and our rules and our laws to help uh, defeat Russian influence. As Conley continued to brief the Senate subcommittee on Russia's game plan, the mood in the room became tense. We describe Russian tactics as an unvirtuous circle of influence. It takes hold of democratic societies through two channels, political and economic influence. The political influence can come through anti-European and fringe parties. It can go through individuals, possibly businessmen who've turned uh, uh, politicians, non-governmental organizations. It can spread through information wars and even the Russian Orthodox Church. The economic channel is more powerful in some respects. It works through a network of Kremlin uh, insiders, former intelligence officers, and local oligarchs to manipulate and dominate strategic sector sectors of a country's economy. And our report looked at how both of these channels, both the political and the economic work together. And what we found is that corruption is the key and principal conduit for the impact of Russian influence. And the reason that they go after those strategic sectors like energy, like finance, is that's where there are the biggest opportunities to exploit uh, and use corruption. But what has allowed Russia's strategy to be so successful is Western susceptibility and in some ways complicit uh, complicitness with Russia's exploitation. And we found this over and over where we're not influencing and impacting our own transparency laws, our beneficial ownership, um, abuse of funding for political party financing and non-governmental organizations. It's in fact in our power to, uh, it, to stop these Russian tactics. In our report, we analyzed five European countries, but we found that neither Europe nor the United States is immune. Let's review Heather's findings briefly. The Russian strategy, according to the Kremlin playbook, isn't ad hoc. Rather, it's the use of a doctrine developed by a Russian general called New Generation Warfare. New generation warfare is primarily a strategy of influence, not of physical force, that eats away at enemy systems from the inside out. 
The strategy, as it has unfolded in Central and Eastern Europe, proceeds along two parallel tracks. The first track is economic. Russia seeks to find business partners and investments that allow it to gain an economic footing in other countries. These partners become influencers with a vested interest in promoting the Kremlin's interests. The second track, perhaps more relevant to the U.S., is designed to take the democracy and the institutions that you and I have always known and shake them up. The goal is to corrode democracy from within by deepening political divides and cultivating relationships with aspiring autocrats and political parties, like nationalist and populist groups. But the broader goal is simply to disrupt the process, create confusion and discord, and discredit democratic systems. A key tool in this effort is a war and information campaign that uses fake news and propaganda to disable opponents and incite nationalist sentiment. And there's another chilling finding in Conley's report. In the European-Russian operations she looked at, there is always some connection to Vladimir Putin's inner circle. Conley's findings beg the question. If the Russians did in fact utilize active measures to affect our 2016 presidential election, and by all accounts it appears that they did, how did it happen right under our noses? To understand that, we have to look at the cyber world. The New York Times' David Sanger has reported extensively on the cyber component of Russia's interference in our election. Sanger explained his reporting to CBS's Bob Schieffer during a panel with Heather Conley at CSIS in early June. I think that the U.S. and the Obama administration bear a fair bit of responsibility for a failure of imagination that the techniques that were used in Europe, in Central Europe, in the Baltics, could be used here. I'll give you just two easy examples. When we did our reconstruction of the Russian hack, which was published in mid-December uh, under the name The Perfect Weapon, it was a seven or 8,000 word look at what had happened here, we discovered some surprising things. First, US intelligence and British intelligence had had early warning of what was happening, and they were seeing DNC files and so forth. And an overworked FBI agent contacts a young and not especially competent uh, IT worker at the DNC by calling the helpline at the DNC, okay? Getting connected to this guy. This person does not believe he's talking to a special agent of the FBI. So he ignores the call. He thinks it's a prank call. The FBI agent calls back periodically, never walks over to the DNC. It's a 12 or 13, I did it in 12 or 13 minutes from the FBI headquarters one day with a stop at Starbucks in between. Uh, so it wouldn't have been terribly hard for them to sort of get over there. This dance goes on for nine months, a little more actually. There were babies who were conceived and born in the time period <laughs> that the United States became aware of what was going on. The president wasn't told until June of 2016. Okay? So they go from September of 2015 to June of 2016, and in that time period is when John Podesta's emails were taken, when a number of other uh, incidents took place. And of course, the Russians had previously been inside the State Department, unclassified emails, the White House unclassified emails, and the Joint Chiefs of Staff. And in each of those cases, the Obama administration made the decision not to publicly name the Russians. So you never had some deterrence that you really needed. For me, the frustration 
is that we did not take this seriously. This is national security at its top, and we were distracted, or we didn't think they could do it, or we didn't think it mattered. So that, to me, is the lost opportunity. But I had another question I wanted to ask Heather Conley. Why are they using this kind of warfare against us? Well, it's cheap. For them, it's easier to do. And again, think back, for the last 25 years, our policy has been of one to integrate Russia into our economic systems, to welcome them into international organizations, the G8 uh, before the Ukraine crisis, the World Trade Organization. All we wanted was to bring Russia into the, to the community of values. What President Putin has done has put, not only stop that, but he's building his own wall to prevent any further uh, Western engagement into, and, and to change the Russian system, but now he wants to change our system. And it's to break the internal coherency of the enemy system. And that's what this is about. It is warfare. In our next episode of the Kremlin Playbook podcast, we'll talk about how to counter this type of warfare and what the United States needs to do to prepare for future threats. I'm Andrew Schwartz with CSIS, and you've been listening to episode two of the Kremlin Playbook. Your feedback is really important to us. So leave a review of the Kremlin Playbook on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the Kremlin Playbook on Apple Podcasts too. That way you'll get new episodes as they become available. If you love the show, it's easy to share it with a friend on Apple Podcasts. The Kremlin Playbook podcast is produced by Francis Burkham with assistance from Sophie Codner, Gabby Lisko, and Emily Birnbaum.